coming up. Green glowing eyes. Simon says get hypnotized. And boobs that terrorize. Also, another celebrity accused of being in league with Satan. Play along with us during the Drinking with the Devil segment. And it's Acolyte's Choice during movie time. You picked it, we watched it, and now you got to deal with the consequences. This is all your fault. All this and more as we celebrate Cootie's birthday on this splendidly wicked episode of Kiss the Goat. majestically heavy and obnoxiously squeaky doors of the online shrine to satanic cinema have swung open wide. Open your mind, lose your inhibitions, and kiss your sanity goodbye. The candles are lit, the toilet's been scrubbed, and the ritual is about to begin. Find your place within the sacred circle. All are welcome here in the dark. This is episode 56 of Kiss the Goat, and welcome to it. And, as they used to say during commercials for 1980s sitcoms, when it was time to talk about drug addiction or surprise butt sex, this is a very special episode of Kiss the Goat. Well, last time, it was your birthday. This time, it's my birthday. And we are giving a gift to you beloved acolytes because this is a listener's choice edition of kiss the goat our faithful tribe picked out the film for this episode and you'll get to hear all about mausoleum from 1983 during movie time and we are not making the same mistake we made on x's birthday show stephanie did not make the birthday cake yeah that wasn't cake that was stephanie's shit disguised as a cake (laughs) how did that even happen i mean did you not smell it before you put it in your mouth i assumed it was a different recipe like black forest cake or something it was from stephanie's black forest all right (laughs) that is one of the weirdest euphemisms i've ever heard you say (laughs) Really? (laughs) I don't think you've been paying attention. Well, before we get into the birthday revelry, and there shall be at least two forms of reveling, it's time for the Devil in the Details, our roundup of snippets of Satan stuff. Sinead O'Connor. Y'all remember Y'all remember her, right? The Irish singer who famously tore a picture of Pope John Paul II in half while performing on Saturday Night Live in 1992? I remember that. O'Connor has made the claim that Prince was a follower of occult practices. Oh, wait. Prince? The guy who did Purple Rain? Right. The guy who grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist household? The same. The guy who later became a member of Jehovah's Witness? 
Okay, well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are arguably a cult, and a relatively secret one at that, but I'm not sure if they're actually an occult group. Well, they're definitely a cult. They they really don't quite jibe with modern-day Christianity. Right. Hey, fair, fair. O'Connor said in her published memoir, Rememberings... <laughs> Fuck you. Could you not come up with a better goddamn title for your memoir? Rememberings. Rememberings. I'm remembering things, Michael. Uh, O'Connor said that when she visited Prince at his Hollywood home, Prince's irises disappeared. Wait, wait, like out of his eyes, or did his flower garden momentarily move into another dimension? I'm pretty sure she met his eyes. In an interview with the Irish Times newspaper, Sinead said that she believed Prince was involved in, quote, devil business because an old girlfriend of his told me he had the power to make shit move around the room. Well, I mean, I can make shit move around the room, too. You pick it up. You move it somewhere else. You don't really have to be involved with the occult to do that. I think she meant with telekinesis or evil demonic forces or something. Wow. Imagine this, okay? You've got all the powers of hell at your disposal, and you use them to rearrange the house. (laughs) Satan, put my dishes away. Fold that fitted sheet. (laughs) does seem a bit of a waste, doesn't it? Just kind of underutilizing the power of darkness. Seriously! Prince of Darkness, mop the floor! Ave Satana, blessed be! (laughs) O'Connor also said that Prince got violent with her and whacked her with a pillowcase that had a solid object hidden inside. That's some straight-up Terry Funk shit right there. Ooh, bag of nickels. When When she left his house, O'Connor claims that Prince followed her in his car and chased her down the street. Okay, so didn't O'Connor have a huge hit by covering one of Prince's songs? Yeah, but apparently nothing compares to getting into a fight with Prince at his devil house. Well, incidentally, O'Connor was raised as a Roman Catholic. Now, during the 1990s, she was ordained as a priest by the Irish Orthodox Catholic and Apostolic Church. Today, O'Connor is a practicing Muslim. While he was alive, Prince was known to go door-to-door proselytizing for the Jehovah's Witnesses. An April 2016 article in The Wrap details one of those visits. Prince knocked on the door of a house in Minnesota and attempted to convert the couple who lived there. Now, the woman who lived there, known as Rochelle, told Prince that she was a Jew. It was a Jewish household, and she wasn't interested in joining the Jehovah's Witnesses. But Prince allegedly said, can I finish? (laughs) Then he stayed for about another half hour before leaving, giving the couple a pamphlet. A pamphlet? Like, what kind of pamphlet? I assume it was a Jehovah's Witnesses pamphlet, like the Watchtower or some shit. Oh, but Sinead O'Connor said Prince was heavy into devil shit. Well, that's an allegation, of course. I mean, it can't be proven, and Prince, unfortunately, isn't around to defend himself. Well, I mean, what if he left a devil pamphlet, like an (laughs) invitation to become Satanist? 
It's like one of those Christian tracks that you find in gas station restrooms. Yes, the anti-chick track. Oh my god, do they have those? I don't know. I hope so, because that would be hilarious. Like, can you imagine celebrities roaming through neighborhoods with devil tracks? Like, King Diamond just shows up at <laughs> <his> house, <laughs> and they've got a satanic pamphlet. Hello, do you have a moment to talk about our dark savior, Anton DeVay? Dude, it's all about equality. Everybody's got to represent. Oh, God. Well, that's going to do it for the devil in the details. I think if King Diamond knocked on our door, I would ask him exactly what it was like to be on that holiday site. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to repaint the front door soon. But before we do that, we're going to watch the movie that our listeners foisted upon us. Ooh, happy birthday to me. Now everybody, settle down. It's movie time. Coming out on top of the poll, winning by one measly point over Monty Python's Life of Brian was Mausoleum from 1983, starring my favorite ex-evangelist, Marjo Gortner. Gortner went from using religion as a money-making activity into making B-grade horror movies. That is one hell of a career change, and I think that on a moral level... Gortner made the correct decision. Also, just as a side note, Gortner, what a great fucking name. <laughs> Marjo Gortner. He's got four names. Hold on. I, it was like, wait a second. I, I fucking looked this up today. <laughs> Give me a minute. I think like one of his names is like, I don't know, Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> Like Dumbledore, Brian. It is! Oh my god, I was right. His full name is Hugh Marjo Ross. That's awesome. So instead of going with like Hugh Gortner or Ross Gortner, he was like, yeah, Marjo. Fuck it. Marjo, I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. That well, I mean, seems you, to... you could go with MJ. <laughs> That'd be MG. MJ. <laughs> no, Marjo. MJ. Oh, okay. Well, MJ it's, it's one word. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Mausoleum <laughs> also stars Bobby Bressy as Susan, the woman with the glowing green eyes and scary tits. Bressy was a Playboy model before embarking on her film career. She was also nominated for Best Actress Saturn Award for her role in this movie. Really? Yeah, really. Huh. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> The movie also stars character actor Norman Burton. Whom I remember fondly from his role in the cross-country auto race movie, The Gumball Rally. And you know I've watched that nine bazillion times. Also, LaWanda Page, who spent years playing the character of Aunt Esther opposite Red Fox on the sitcom Sanford and Son, and reprised her role in the show's eventual spinoffs. Mausoleum was deemed a video nasty by the British government during the 1980s, and it banned the movie. It didn't receive a video release in the UK until 1998. Jeez, I didn't think it was that gross. 
Well, they were really sensitive about horror movies in the UK back then. You know, they they worried about warping the minds of children and <laughs> such things. You know, the kind of shit conservatives usually fret about. Well, Mausoleum director Michael Dugan is also known for his projects The Adventures of Turkey Boy and Raging Hormones. According to IMDb, Dugan's screenplay called Chubby Chasers has been optioned for production. Oh, boy. <laughs> Can't wait for chubby chasers. Yeah, but we're here to talk about demons and tits and oblivious husbands, so let's get into Mausoleum, which starts, as it should, in a cemetery. <laughs> well, oblivious husband seems to be the reoccurring theme for this movie, but in the beginning, there was no husband. No, because there's a young girl. Her name is Susan, and her mother is dead, so she's standing at the graveside with her Aunt Cora. Now, Susan doesn't want to leave her mother, who is obviously dead. Susan refuses to go home with Aunt Cora and runs screaming across the cemetery, and Cora, for some fucking reason, doesn't chase her. She doesn't. She just stands there and yells, My God, not Susan! Please, not Susan! Now, Susan hears kind of whispery sing-song voices calling her name, and the voices are coming from, you Susan, guessed it. Susan, <laughs> Susan. That's how that goes. It is. And the voices are coming from a mausoleum. Now, it's raining at the mausoleum, and is only, it, only the mausoleum. Is it? Is it raining at the mausoleum, or have they had, like, this weird shift into some kind of, like, fucking, it was like some 80s cartoon, dude, like, She-Ra or something? <laughs> Is it Castle Grayskull? It looks like it. It's Australian, <laughs> this weird kind of fucking animated mist, and... You can kind of tell it's raining, but just in a weird, like, late 80s, 90s, early cartoon sort of way. There's a lot of superimposed footage on this, because, yeah, the mausoleum is bathed in yellow light, and there's smoke coming up from the ground. I mean, obviously, why wouldn't you go in there? It's so so welcoming. Everybody in. Fucking go in there. Why not? Now, on the door of the mausoleum, there's a crown of thorns, and it explodes. I don't know why it explodes, but it does. So when the crown of thorns explodes, the door kind of opens up, and Susan kind of meanders in. Now, when she walks in, there's thunder and lightning inside the mausoleum. Yeah, I had no idea that was a crown of thorns at first. It just looked like a fucking grapevine wreath. It looked like a bad donut. It's, it, yeah, I don't, it, yeah. There's a storm inside the mausoleum, and that doesn't seem safe or, you know, physically possible. <laughs> Susan wends her way through the straight tunnels of the mausoleum to the front of a crypt. Now, over the coffin is a wrought iron sign that says, Nomad. <sighs> A guy comes up behind Susan on the left, but there's this shadow on the wall that looks like fucking Max Shrek from the original Nosferatu. 
And he's making hand motions towards the guy. Like, I don't know what American Sign Language is for your head explode all fucking strong bad or whatever. But that's what happens. This dude stumbles outside. His hair is on fire. His head is smoking. And eventually, the back of his head just blows out. It explodes. Yeah. It was kind of weird. Like, was this a homeless dude? What the fuck was he doing? Like, he went up to the girl and he was like, oh, little girl, you shouldn't be here. This is not safe. And, like, acts all concerned until, you know, he catches on fire. I think he's one of those weird pedophiles that just hangs out at graveyards. Ew. I mean, are, are there those people well you know i've hung out in a lot of graveyards in my time and i've not seen one thankfully i probably would have kicked a skull in if i had i mean you've been to old gray oh yeah more than once for for our listeners old gray cemetery is a civil war graveyard in the uh goddamn like five minutes outside of downtown in knoxville it's it's the oldest cemetery in knoxville yeah and the only thing i've ever seen there is litter okay so dude's head blows up soon after that susan's eyes start glowing green and she smiles she's very happy about the green glowing eyes she walks (laughs) up to the coffin and she touches yet another crown of thorns are there two crown of thorns in here? Crowns of thorn? There, there must have been. Okay. She walks up to it, and the crown of thorns pricks her finger. But then the lid of the coffin rises, and there's a demonic claw hand that rises from the crypt. And there's more green light coming from the coffin. And there's fog, and the hand has really bad press-on nails. And then suddenly, it's ten years later. Because why the fuck not? And there's a psychiatrist named Dr. Simon Andrews, played by Norman Burton. Now, the doctor, talking to Aunt Cora, says, Susan's fine. But Cora has this book of the family history called The Nomad Family. Now, God... God fucking damn it. If only these shit nuts had had the ability to read words backwards... They could have figured out what was going on a hell of a lot sooner. Hell of a lot sooner. And I mean, all of the green so far. Like, how much green? How much more of the green could this movie have incorporated? I don't have words. I have to keep saying the word green, and it's going to get real fucking repetitive. If If you're trying to catch up with this, Nomad backwards is demon. Bandingo. So this is the fucking demon family and you know what right now you can kiss my ass because this is stupid (laughs) as fuck so cora says that susan is starting to behave the same way that her mother did before she died and simon dr simon is like you know this happens every time susan visits her mother's grave once a year it's time to let go cora and dr simon is right Meanwhile, while they're talking, adult Susan is bringing flowers to her mother's grave. And while she's laying the flowers down, Susan, by the way, Bobby Bressy, who was the former Playboy model. I can't tell. Were those real or were those like Frankenstein bolt-on tits? I honestly don't know. And that's pretty, I mean, if you have fake tits and I can't tell. I I mean, that. yeah, well done you. Yeah. Or well done doc, anyway. Fine, fine surgery is what that was. So Susan hears odd music coming from the mausoleum and she hears her voice being called again, but the voices and they call Susan Nomad. 
I'm just going to do that over and over. I wish you would, because it's the closest thing we can get to actually taking part of this movie and not violating DMCA. <laughs> okay. Simon's reading the story of the Nomad family curse, and I, I fucking wrote this down because I'm that guy. This is what Simon reads out of the book. <laughs> Therefore, I have to read it as a Southern evangelist, and I don't know why. <laughs> Therefore, therefore, did the demon extricate itself from the crown of thorns, departing the confines of the outer-rimmed area of hell, and was rewarded with the eternal possession of the first female born of the family, known as Nomad. Once having left the mausoleum... The demon is one with the possessed and can only be returned to rest by the firstborn having reunited the demon with the crown of thorns. And lest we forget, no nomad woman must enter the sanctuary of the mausoleum. Jonathan Nomad, August 16th, 1682. Wow, that fits so well. That's terrifying. Well, fuck all that, because Susan goes right the fuck into the mausoleum. Green lights and all that. But we're not sure. Was that real? Was it a dream? I don't know, because here's Marjo Gortner, Oliver, Susan's dumbass husband. Marjo. And he's waking her up from a nap on the couch. Now, was she dreaming? Was she actually at the cemetery? I don't fucking know. All I know is that the gardener, Ben, is leering through the front door window at both of them. Now, Ben rings the doorbell and he says, hey, sorry I couldn't get that, that stubborn stump out of the ground. I've been outside. Stubborn stump. I've been out he there. He says it like four times. I've been out there kind of working on my stubborn stump while y'all are inside <laughs> on the couch. And then <laughs> before he leaves, he's like, have a good evening. <laughs> not creepy at all. Not just Dripping smarm and sleaze, just whatever. And this is funny, though, because this is when shit really starts to get ramped up with Susan. Why does demon possession make you horny? I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, that seems to be the case for every woman. You don't see a whole lot of men getting possessed by devils, do you? Well, the last time we saw a man got possessed, it was a fucking priest. Yeah. He wasn't horny at all. He was just no. like, he was just calling people kissy lips. We need to examine that. I agree. I agree entirely. Oliver says that what they need to do, he and Susan, is go out and go dancing. Go to the club. So Oliver and Susan kiss while Ben just kind of secretly watches from the front door window. Now, you can't see his hand down his pants, but I'm sure it's there. Oliver and Susan head out to the club, and it is a weird, very early 80s place with dark wood and leather half-circle booths, and it just looks like a Mississippi version of Shoney's. Yeah. Have you ever been to a shitty Italian restaurant, and they have those fucking pictures that look like they're drawn on the wall, and everything's fucking out of perspective? Like, here's, here's like an alleyway and you look down the alleyway and in the front it's Italy but in the back it's like I don't know Antarctica like you can look through this fucking alleyway and see McMurdo Station that's what this bar has on the walls and it's the dumbest fucking thing I don't get that there is an Italian restaurant up here in East Knoxville that has shit like that on the walls and I can't stand it and I won't go there because I swear to god they charge me 15 bucks for a plate of Chef Bayardee fuck you so this guy at the bar notices Susan coming in and he looks like Grizzly Adams evil twin 
He is just an angry, angry dude with blonde hair and a, and, a, and a full beard. The guy's date notices him looking at Susan and gets mad, and she just stomps out. Oliver tells Susan, he's just a good hubby. He's just like, you know what? As soon as I get all of this shit done, we're going to go on a real vacation. It'll be, as, it'll be a crazy vacay that lasts all day, and we're going to do that as soon as possible. But right now, we should go dancing. <laughs> Is he so fucking oblivious to everything that's going on? He's just like, huh? He's 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 the fucking Rick. No, <laughs> not Rick. What's the fucking dude? Which dude? He's the dad. He's the he's Jerry. He's a fucking Jerry. He is Jerry. Oh shit. He's fucking Jerry. He's a fucking Jerry. Oh, that's true. But I think the important thing right now is that the dancing in this scene is kind of what like people who don't know how to dance think dancing looks like. <laughs> White people dancing. This is the widest thing since the blizzard of 77. <laughs> it's not so much dancing as it is the floor is lava and nobody knows how to play. Meanwhile, Oliver gets a phone call at the club. You can find him in the club. I don't know the words to that song. So while he's taking a phone call, Grizzly Adams from the bar grabs Susan and starts kind of dancing with her. It's more like trying to ram his dick up her ass while she's still got her clothes on. So it's more like molestation. And this guy is all like, what the hell is wrong with her? When she finally pushes her way away from him. He's like, ugh, fucking bitch. <laughs> so Oliver tells Susan, we have to leave because, hey, the contracts I've been waiting for, they're ready. And the clients are in town and I got, I got to go. So Oliver and Susan go outside and they wait for the valet to bring them their car. Meanwhile, Grizzly Adams from the bar comes outside and fucking shoulder checks Oliver like three times. Oliver's like, hey, buddy, what's wrong? And Susan's like, he's drunk. Just let him go. So bar guy heads into his car. He starts the vehicle and it immediately catches on fire. But when it catches on fire... Susan's eyes start glowing green. And it's not just her eyes glow green. It is a freeze frame of Susan where someone colored her eyes in with that green color. And literally, we see that three times in the next two minutes. (laughs) And I guess this is the first time we really get an indication that, ooh, green glowing eyes. Shit's about to happen. Well, great. Well, green giant or whatever the fuck is in her comes out. And the... (laughs) So Grizzly Adams' car catches on fire. Oliver's tried to free him from the vehicle, but apparently the guy can't figure out that if you push the lock button on the inside twice, it still stays locked. You know what (laughs) I mean? So the door won't open, and there's that freeze frame of Susan's eyes colored green, and then the car explodes, and it kills Grizzly Adams, and I'm sure Gentle Ben was very sad. The next day, Susan is at the house with their maid, Elsie. And Elsie's LaWanda Page, who really was a far better performer than to be a fucking maid to these assholes. She's giving Elsie the grocery list, and she wants some guava, but neither of them know how to spell it. So Susan says, just get me some cantaloupe, which honestly is harder to spell than guava. There are way more syllables, and it is not the same thing. I'm so confused. Ben, the gardener, is 
skulking about outside, waiting for Susan to be alone and for Elsie to leave the house and go to the fucking Kroger or wherever the hell she goes. When Elsie leaves, Ben knocks and he's coming in and he's making his movies. Like, can I have a cup of coffee? I don't know what his accent is. It's I, this. I think w- he's supposed to be Latino. Is he? Because he sounds like this weird conglomeration of like Pat Boone and Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> Either way, he's a smarmy guy, and after he gets his coffee, he tells Susan that he'll return the empty mug when he's through with it before going back outside to work on his stubborn stump. So Susan adjusts her bathrobe to expose her bra, and she's got the green eyes going. So she's going to seduce Ben with her glowing green eyes, which is totally not a danger signal. Neither is that weird electronic cicada noise on the soundtrack every time her eyes start glowing and the doors start rattling like somebody's trying to get in or out. Ben, stop. No, I don't know what that sounds like. That's close enough. Fuck it. (laughs) Ben stops chopping on his stump and he approaches the house with his axe. He's going to protect Susan. Wait. What did you say? I said he stops chopping on his stubborn stump. That's what I thought you said. Yeah. Continue. Thank you. Susan opens the doors and she asks if Ben wants more coffee. And he's like, no. So she tells him to go back to work. And Ben's like, are you sure you didn't hear anything? Because the doors are rattling and the wind was blowing and there was that sound. But Susan slams the door in Ben's face. So there's a montage of Ben doing fucking yard chores. And that includes uh, him throwing potting soil at a plant like he's pissed at it. And him taking a nap on their private dock. Meanwhile, Susan gets naked and she's checking her look in the mirror. And she sees Ben outside chopping his stump. So she walks outside on the balcony in nothing but a towel. And she does those sexy moves, you know. She's dropping the towel over her tits and is so sexy evil that her wine glass breaks from the sexy evility of it. (laughs) So Ben's gotten the message, it's go time. And that night, Ben and Susan head out to the garage to do the, the, the Humpty Hump. Ben gets aggressive and Susan gives it right back. And Ben's like, oh yeah, I knew you were a crazy slut underneath your pampered outward appearance. And he says, we're going to have a real good time, Mrs. Farrell. And then her eyes glow green and we get the cicada noise. And Ben compares Susan to a sex worker, but says she's better. I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> I'm confused by this. He also appreciates her tendency to play rough. Either way, they've already gone through, you know, one round of whatever. Ben's tried to initiate a second round of sex, and Susan the Demon kills him with a trowel. Picks up a garden tool with four sharp tines on it and just rakes his body with it. That's really kind of cool. I'm honest. But you can see uh, Susan's demon profile and silhouette there in the uh, junky garage. But yeah, I mean, boom! There's like, is that our first death of the movie? No, second death after the bar guy. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Oliver comes home in his Bradley GT electric car. Susan's on the couch, still apparently super fucking horny. And Oliver's just like, oh, honey, I love you. And Susan says, show me. I don't don't know how to react to that. I mean, 
show uh, me. I killed a deer? What the fuck do you want from me? There's violins on the soundtrack, and the whole thing is just super soft core and sexy, or, you know, as sexy as you can get with Marjo Gortner. Now, the next day, Oliver gets dressed, and he hears Susan talking to the demon inside her, and they're going back and forth. Susan's like, no more! The demon's like, yes, boy! You're not me! I am me! You! <laughs> Oliver finds Susan in the kitchen cooking breakfast, and he says, Honey, how come you always smell so good? And Susan says, It's the bacon. <laughs> now, unless she's, like, tucking fucking strips of fat back behind her ears, or, like, I don't know, shoving some pork belly up her cooch, that, none of that makes any sense. But Susan's like, I don't know what you're talking about, baby. I, was never, I wasn't talking to anybody. By the way, Aunt Cora's visiting today. Which also sounds like a euphemism. But anyway, Oliver leaves for work in his sporty little vehicle. So here comes Cora. She's the woman from the beginning that tried to pull young Susan away from going to the mausoleum and stood there and didn't do shit while Susan ran into the mausoleum. Same bitch. But now she's got a wig that is completely white-headed. And she looks like they kicked her out of the little house on the prairie. She comes in with a binder full of estate papers, but the door opens by itself, and the doors in the back of the house start to rattle it. Now, Cora can't find anybody in the house. Elsie, Elsie, the maid, is gone. Apparently, she's gone to the, the Whole Foods to figure out how to fucking spell guava. Susan's nowhere to be found, so Cora tries to go out back, but the door slams by itself. And again, inside the house, the wind picks up. There is a lot of weather inside. Yeah structures in this movie. <laughs> Corey hears noises upstairs, so she goes to investigate. Susan's up there, and she turns around to face Cora, and she is a black light demon. Like, remember that really crappy scene of Batman and Robin, that Joel Schumacher Batman movie, where they go to fight the entire street gang, and Henry Rollins is there, but the whole thing's in black light, and it looks just like, I don't know, like somebody... Decided to throw down her to fucking Spencer's gifts. That is precisely what she looks like. Just a goddamn painted up black light demon. So, <laughs> so Susan tells Cora, God can't help you now. And she uses her green-eyed devil power to levitate Cora over the railing. And this story, this has like, what, three stories? Two stories? Uh, yes, Lisa Loeb and like nine that. stories? I don't know, but it's very tall. So she moves Cora up over the railing and she's kind of flailing in midair but then susan takes her green-eyed devil booty powers and tears cora's chest apart and then we see the glowing green crypt and there's purple lights coming in through the windows and cora i i never really saw her fall i just kind of saw her get her get her tit ripped off because that's what happened during the, the chest cracking yeah I mean, evidently she fell, though, because she wound up on the floor. I didn't see her on the floor. Was she on the floor? Okay, fine. Yeah. Fine. She got her tits ripped off, and she fell down. There's two bodies now. That's 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 Aunt Cora <laughs> and Ben. And we don't know where Susan's hidden them or anything. She just shrugs it off. I mean, shouldn't there be a smell? You would think. You would think there would at least be some shit to clean up. That night, Oliver comes home. And he's bringing flowers, and it's so sweet. He's such a good hubby. And he asks Susan, what's for dinner? And she says, poached salmon and me. Oliver wakes up that night in his bed to see Demon Susan sitting in the rocking chair in the corner. And she's not a human. She's this weird, argly bargly bargly <laughs> demon. <laughs> Where did that fucking cobweb room come from, anyway? I, I don't know. We haven't even gotten there yet. 
that's some crazy shit, but we need to get to that, because that's dumb. When Oliver sees Demon Susan, he makes his way out of the room in his tidy whities and he goes downstairs to call Dr. Simon. Oliver tells Simon that whatever he saw in the rocket chair, it wasn't Susan. So Simon says, well, Susan should probably come in tomorrow afternoon around 2.30. All of a sudden, Oliver on the phone is interrupted by human Susan. Oliver tells Susan, oh, I'm sorry that I had to pick up the phone. It was the wrong number. They didn't say anything before I picked up. And Susan's like, well, come back to bed. But Oliver has a couple of doubts about the woman he's sleeping with. And then Susan has a dream. Susan dream and it's, it's all these things in kind of like rapid succession. So it's like, she's dancing with Oliver at the bar, incredibly whitely. She's at the mausoleum as a girl. The bar guy car is on fire. Demon Susan is screaming. There's Cora walking backwards. The girl back at the mausoleum. So mad, or, or nomad, all in the mausoleum. And then you see it backwards, and it says, Demon, thank you for finally giving us that goddamn clue. There's Ben chopping his stump. There's papers falling down from Cora's binder. There's Demon Susan. Oliver's fighting somebody, and it's thing, and, then, and she's screaming again. And it's all green, and it's all purple, and it looks like a, a fucking Tim Burton fart. And then all of a sudden... There's Oliver covering Susan up with the blanket, and she's so cute, and he's just super horny, and so what if she's this weird, hideous demon hag? How much does that really matter? Probably not much, so he's, he's just going to try to slide in the back door there. Anyway, next day, Oliver talks to Elsie the maid, and Elsie's like, spiritual matters are bothering me in this house. We got to talk about it. Oliver's like, well, that's fine, but I have to go to work, so I don't know what the shit you're talking about. So Oliver leaves, and Elsie goes upstairs, and the upstairs hallway is filled with green mist. And Elsie says what is probably the greatest line in this entire film, there's some weird shit going on in this house, and I know damn well it is. That should have been the IMDb description of this whole fucking movie. <laughs> it should have been. <laughs> That's the best line in the whole fucking movie. Elsie runs downstairs and tries to catch Oliver as he leaves for work, but she sees him driving off, and she's like, Mother, father, sucker got away. So she goes back inside and gets a couple of snorts from behind the bar, and she says she needs to drink of the good stuff, but it's J&B, so it's definitely not the good stuff at all. Nope. <laughs> then Elsie says, I haven't been this nervous since I've been black. Which is, I guess, forever. So that's the second best line. In yep. <laughs> she got them both. So she goes back upstairs, and there's the green mist wafted down the hallway, and Elsie reaches for the door handle to the room from which the green shit is emanating, but she doesn't open the door all the way. She says, hell with it, and she gets the hell out of Dodge. She packs up her bags and literally runs out the door and down the driveway, and we do not see her again. That's probably the wisest, most grounded and rational thinking. She noped right the fuck out of there. Oh, totally. She just is like, no, we're done. We're fine. Bye. Susan's supposed to go to Simon for the checkup, and she tells Oliver that she doesn't really need a checkup, but she'll go if Oliver insists on it. And the phone rings, and if somebody says, Anybody seen Cora? And Oliver's like, nah. And then Susan says, she'll show up later. Well, where's the gardener, Oliver says. And, and Susan says, I don't know. Give him a call. Yeah. Susan, Simon, Oliver. I don't know who those... <laughs> Character names confuse me. <laughs> I don't know who's in this movie or what they're doing. So bear with me. Simon, the doctor, and Susan, the green eyes glowing girl. 
They're in Simon's office, and he gives her a script for sleeping pills. And she's like, I've been having nightmares. And Simon's like, well, that's cool. Here's a script. And she's like, no, I don't want that. And then Simon's like, well, fine. Can I hypnotize you? So she lies back on the couch, and Simon pulls out this very small crystal pendulum. And she's watching it. And then Simon says, close your eyes. Simon says, listen to the first sound you can hear. And Simon says, slowly open your eyes. Now close them. So she's getting sleepy. Susan's asleep. And Simon starts this audio recording of the session, one of those big-ass fucking, you push down the two buttons to make the cassette tape mm-hmm. go. Susan has regressed to childhood, and she's using her maiden name, and she starts crying. They're putting Mommy in the ground. They hate Aunt Cora. And then she has this really weird convulsion, and then she's like, I'm in the mausoleum, and the demon Susan comes out, and Simon can see her eyes glowing, and her big pointy, pointy teeth. (laughs) And the demon says, you didn't know I existed. And she laughs, and she calls herself Nomad. Hit, fucking hit. And then Simon brings her out of the trance, and it's human Susan, and she says she feels fine. And Simon says, I'm sure you'll get a very good night's sleep. So, have you ever been hypnotized? I have not. Yeah, me neither. I mean, okay, I mean, I thought about it because when I was a kid, there was this place, yeah, it was called Peel's Palace. I went there with my dad to see some indie wrestling once or twice, but they had all ages shows and they had like magic dudes and shitty bands. So I've had the opportunity to be hypnotized, but I've never done it. I'm curious. Yeah, me too. I'm honestly curious to see if you could even do that to me, because I, th- I think I'm too aware. I think I'd, 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 like, fake it, and then they'd be like, take your clothes off and act like a chicken. And I'd be like, no, fuck y'all. No. No. <laughs> no. Please <laughs> buy me a drink, all. because you're full of shit. <laughs> so Simon calls another doctor, a colleague, and her name is Roni. As in Pepper. Simon tells Roni about Susan. Now, his initial thought was some kind of schizophrenia, but that hypnotism session? Oh, no. Now, he's too close to Susan because of their doctor-patient relationship, so he wants Roni to take a look at the case files. But Roni says that there is, quote, a history of possession. The fuck? A history. Simon plays the tape of the hypnosis session for Roni, and Simon says there's a green light coming out of Susan's eyes, and then he says, I'm not in the habit of seeing my patients light up. (laughs) Roni says Simon's going to have to step aside from the case, but he can't because he is too close. So Roni says that she'll examine the evidence. We're back at the house now, and we get to watch Susan do that weird thing she does with her tits. Susan's at the house in her nightgown when this brown work van shows up, and it's a dude delivering a plant. And Susan opens the front door, and she tells the guy, we don't need any more landscaping. So she says it must be a mistake. But the guy's like, look, we don't deal with you. We deal with the gardeners. So obviously this is something Ben ordered after he got done chopping his stubborn stump. And it's a, it's really, it's kind of a nice tree it's big and it's cute and it goes on the front the front porch so susan says come on in and call your boss you can use my phone so meanwhile while this guy's trying to make a phone call she's doing that thing again where she's just playing with her tits in front of the delivery guy i, I really no nope. i'm really playing with no 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 you got this backwards tell me what i missed well she starts seducing him at the door she's playing with her tits and is like you should come in. She does. She says you should come in and make a call. She doesn't stop playing with her tits. Well, <laughs> she might as well be juggling. I'm just saying. He's like, oh, okay, I get the picture. And then he comes in the house, and then he starts getting all aggro. And he's like, oh yeah, baby. And she says, make your call. 
And he's like, oh, no, baby, let's do it. And she's like, make your fucking call first. So she makes him make his call. And it's when he's making his call that she gets all green-eyed and cicada noises and blows up his head. Yeah, because he starts bleeding all over the phone. And while he's going... While he's talking to his boss, going bleh, bleh, because you know his the side of his face is melting, his eye pops out into his palm. It does, and it's such a shame. Dude doesn't even get his wick wet. No, but he gets. I mean, she could have skull fucked him with something because his eye fucking fell out. She totally could have. Yeah. All right, this is my favorite favorite example of Oliver being a fucking dumbass. Oliver comes home from work that night. Now, Susan is sitting in the the weird, cobwebby child's room. Cobweb room. And she's rocking back and forth in front of this tiny chest that has green light coming from it. It's like the makers of this movie had enough money to buy, like, three green lights, and that was fucking it. That was all they could do. So, does she is she singing while she's sitting in front of the sing, or is that like a like a music box? It's a music box. It's a music box, yeah. Oliver discovers blood all over the phone in the kitchen, and he's like, Susan, did you hurt yourself? <laughs> because she hasn't cleaned the blood off the fucking phone. Why would you not at least take a damn washcloth and, I don't care if it's smeary, just wipe the blood off the phone? Fuck! <laughs> So from upstairs, Susan tells Oliver, oh, I was taking a nap. And Sus- and Oliver's like, we got to talk about this right now. And she's like, oh, I don't want to. I'm tired. Blah, blah, blah. It's going to have to wait until morning. So Oliver goes into the living room to use the phone, a different phone, not the bloody phone. And no one answers the call. So I don't know who that was supposed to be. But I guess it was Dr. Simon, because Simon and Roni are discussing Susan's case. Roni says... The possession has already begun, and everything's right there in the Nomad Diary. Roni tells Simon that he's going to have to handle this. You must use the crown of thorns. It will neutralize the possession. And then Oliver barges into the office. we got to do something now. All right, Jerry, getting your britches in and all. Simon tells Oliver that he's never believed in religion, but there's no other explanation. Simon says... The woman you're living with looks like Susan, but it isn't Susan. She's possessed. It is the possession of the firstborn of the nomad women. Now, Simon says they're going to have to confine confine Susan, but Oliver refuses. Simon says he'll be at the house tonight. Roni says Simon has to put the crown of thorns from the mausoleum on Susan's head before it's too late. In other movies where there's demon possession, there's a few prayers, and maybe the room is a little bit cold. (laughs) But there's none of this, you need to jigsaw your ass across town, we're going to do a scavenger hunt, (laughs) while you go drive into a fucking mausoleum at a cemetery, get this arcane, tiny sculpture that just looks like a shitty bagel you made in third grade domestic arts, and then take it back to this house. It's fucking weird. Meanwhile, Susan is at the mall. Don't remember when malls were cool. Am I the, am I the only one who remembers that? No, dude. Malls used to be cool. Malls were awesome, and they had like sculptures 
and water features and pools and, I don't know, arcades and used car lots. Malls used to be <laughs> just the fucking, the fucking shit. So Susan, who is full-on green-eyed possessed, goes into this art gallery shop at the mall, and she likes this painting. And this, this fucking painting. There's like a Native American woman on it, and a dude whose dick is sticking out, and I don't know, the fucking Gitchy Manitou is off to one side. I don't know how what all it is. But Susan's like, I want this painting. And the employee says, well, it's already sold. I can't, I can't give it to you. And Susan's like, how much do you want? And he's like, it's already sold. Will you please fuck the fuck off? So Susan steals it, and she's walking in front of the, I don't know, Zales Jewelers and the Florsham Shoes and the Suncoast Movie Company or whatever the fuck was in malls back in the day. And the employee of the art store is like, hey, where are you going with that painting? So she uses her green demon eye goober stuff and levitates him over the railing of the mall, which the mall's apparently 17 stories high, and just throws him down into the, is it the food court? Some kind of courtyard, but he lands on top of a pointy sculpture, and they take a lot of time showing the blood dripping from his hand into some water feature (laughs) at the mall. So he's, not only is he dead, he's really dead he's like he's art dead i sort of say that's very argento he's sculpture dead death by modern art so susan takes the painting home and she's in bed it's like five o'clock of the afternoon and oliver comes home and sees the painting he's like what is this what is this bullshit he's really mad about the painting i'm never sure why he's so upset about the painting so he can Oliver confronts Susan with the painting, and she's like, I like the painting. I don't know what you want. I liked it. So he's like, I demand better communication with you, which really is a rational request. But Susan's like, oh, this is all that doctor's fault. And she says, fuck Simon. And she looks at the painting, and she's got her green eyes on, and she makes it drip blood. Like you do. I got nothing. But okay, bloody painting. Now, at dinner... Oliver fucking apologizes. Why is he sorry about fucking anything right now? I don't understand. But he drops a plate, and Susan freaks the fuck out. And she's like, why don't you just leave things alone? And he's like, I'm sorry, Susie. And she's like, don't call me Susie. And then she starts throwing plates onto the floor and just crazy shit. So meanwhile, Simon's driving to the mausoleum at night. Because that's what you do. You don't think, fuck, maybe those cemetery gates are closed. I'll just go through those in my 77 LTD, wherever the fuck I am. Here's Oliver, that lovable schlub, walks into the bedroom. And now Susan is taking a bath in the ensuite. Now she's a demon, but she is a schmexy one. So there's flowers all around the edge of the tub. And Oliver's like, I love you. And I'm going to keep loving you, and we're going to take a vacation. And Susan's like, everything's fine, honey. It's all good. So she gets up out of the tub to kiss him. Um, And if you're really looking for, like, nudity in a flick, here you go. Because we've got boobs, and we've got side bush, her 
jet black, and we got and we got booty. By the way, so blonde hair, black mush, genetics. That's just how things go, and that's fine. So they make out standing up, and it's very very sweet. And then all of a sudden, right as Simon is about to take that crown of thorns, it's all here you know, off of the mausoleum door, Susan gets all green eyed and she starts freaking out. Oliver just starts screaming, and that's because. His chest has been torn apart by Susan's black light demon titties. Baby demon titties. They have eyes, and they got mouths with sharp teeth, and they have ripped into Oliver's chest and eaten whatever they can get to, and his ribs are sticking out like they're a fucking buddy's barbecue. <gasps> it's the fucking weirdest thing. Because, oh, I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong, but... Titties with teeth? <laughs> you know, um, having been a mother who breastfed, I really wished my titties had teeth during that time frame because that would have been just and fair. Just to bite back. Yes. Just like, look, just you can play this game. Quid pro quo. <laughs> Simon arrives at Susan and Oliver's house with the crown of thorns and he goes upstairs. There's no sign of anybody. So he wanders inside and outside looking for Susan. And then he runs into a black cat and he jumps. And it's a jump scare because why wouldn't you have a black cat jump scare in this fucking movie? <laughs> so then he goes back in and he enters the ensuite and discovers Oliver's titty mangled body in the bathtub. And then he can hear... Um, Susan Humming. She's in that weird cobwebby room that apparently nobody knew existed in the house. There's one scene where I swore the room was downstairs, but apparently the room is upstairs. Or maybe it moves. Maybe it's like something from fucking Lost. I don't know how this works. Susan's in that room and she's got that toy chest with the green light coming out of it and she's cradling this baby doll and she's humming something like a lullaby and she's like, oh, baby doll. And then she like bashes it against the fucking edge of the chest and then she picks it up and cradles it. So she's kind of, she is of two minds <laughs> about the baby. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, there's thunder rumbling over the graveyard, which sounds like some kind of monster truck jam. Thunder over the graveyard! The mausoleum lights up green and purple, and Simon opens the door to Susan's room. And right there, with all the cobwebs and the toys, there are the bodies of everybody that Susan has killed. Lots of cobwebs, like years' worth of cobwebs. I don't know how this happened. And Susan doesn't remember anything. She's acting like a petulant child. And she says, well, Oliver's just working late. I think he's doing it because he loves me. Blah, blah, blah. And Simon's like, well, this house has a lot of memories for you, doesn't it? And she's like, yeah, I think Mommy and Daddy were very happy together. And that's why Mommy died. I mean, <laughs> if you're looking for subtlety, this is not the film. <laughs> All right. This does not do it. So she says her mother died because she couldn't live without her husband. But Simon says, no, it's the curse of the nomad women. Why is that not a Showtime series right now? Sunday nights at 10. Women. The curse of the nomad women, season five. Because fuck that noise. Simon puts the crown of thorns on Susan's head. And there's all this groaning and kind of demon 
facing as the monster contorts. And Susan's face kind of goes back and forth with the demon face, and there's this weird double exposure super imposition, and then human season disappears, and the demon arises, and it's dripping glowing goo like somebody put KY in a microwave, and she's showing off her carnivorous titties, and she's touching her own face, and then it collapses to the ground and reverts to human Susan. Thank fuck. Is this over? No, it is not, because the demon reappears in the halls of the mausoleum, kind of half there, kind of half visible, and it's stumbling towards the crypt, stumbling towards the coffin, but it's beckoned by that weird shadow on the wall, you know, the one that made the guy's head explode in the first five minutes of the movie? It's still there. It's all back shrekking about. Why is it always storming inside the mausoleum? I don't get it. I mean, you could put in a vent. Like, <laughs> A ridge vent or something. So Simon and Susan go out of the house and they're heading towards the mausoleum. Meanwhile, the demon inside the mausoleum is looking inside the green coffin. When Simon and Susan get to the mausoleum, there's those voices again and they're calling for Susan. Susan. But when the demon's in the mausoleum by itself, the voices are calling for no man. I don't know who these fuckers are, but you know what? Karaoke time's over. Wait, <laughs> quit your fucking singing. It's 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 done. Simon tells Susan that she knows what has to be done. She says she can't do it, but Simon's like, Susan released the demon as a child, so you must return it. So there's this weird thing where you see the child, Susan, approaching the coffin, but it's actually adult human Susan. We're just kind of seeing both forms of Susan do the thing. So she walks up to the coffin, and she puts the crown of thorns on the demon's head, and then the lid to the tomb closes while child susan cries and human susan cries and they're all very sad about this thing so it's pretty much over simon gives susan his coat because you know she's cold and then simon's like where's oliver bitch you ate him with your tits <laughs> he's dead he is in the tub at your house stanking up the place but simon says uh we'll talk about that later so outside, the sun is rising, and Simon and Susan finally leave. However, there's a dude on a headstone, and he's just kind of sitting there on top playing with some flowers. And Simon walks up to the guy, and he says, You've known this secret and lived with it like your father before you and his father before him. Remember, no one goes into the mausoleum. No one. And the dude on the headstone is fucking Ben the Gardener in a monk's robe. So confusing. And he starts to laugh while the credits roll. The fuck just happened? Why is he there? Why isn't he dead? Who is he? Is he somebody's father? Was Demon Susan fucking Ghost Ben? Is this another fucking reincarnation movie? Because oh, fuck shit. that noise. Fuck, it better 
fucking not be, because I have no idea what the shit happened at the end of this movie. Why was he there? It pissed me off, just to an extraordinary degree. (laughs) However, I think that, if nothing else, Mausoleum is worth a watch simply for the boobs that ate Marjo Gortner. Dude, sentient tits is a hell of a thing. I'm glad your boobs don't have minds of their own. Well, how do you know they don't? Well, I mean, they've never tried to rip through my chest cavity, devour my heart, and leave my ribs sticking out. Well, a lot of people really like this movie, even if it does have a tendency to hurl logic out the window. But I think, in the name of fairness, that we should get someone else's opinion on Mausoleum, just to balance things out. You mean about the tits? Well, that too. I mean, those boobs seem pretty balanced, and I hope she fed them a balanced diet. Just, you know, not Marjo Gortner 24 7. <sighs> right. Well, let's dial the great mysterious payphone out by a desert roadside out in the ether and see who picks up the landline of the damned. Get your dialing finger ready. It's time to call 666, the number of the geeks. Well, hello. <laughs> Hi, Hi Chef Al. Holy good cow. Time. A long time to talk. Um, are you on your deck is what I was going to ask. I am on my 90% completed deck. Ooh. With nice. The, yeah, and it's it's really nice to be outside again and be able to not worry about, like, rusty nails popping up and hitting me in the face or falling several feet to my death, you know. Nobody wants those things, Al. Huh? That's, yeah. No, no. Well, except maybe Susan, but uh, <laughs> I can't quite. I haven't quite figured her out yet, but you know. Uh, Are your eyes glowing green yet? Not yet, not yet. The only thing I'm entirely sure of is that God can't help you now. Oh my God! <laughs> Oh, man. Um, But I do. (laughs) I I went through my teen years, like, not being able to tell that movie apart from uh, The Mortuary. Oh, okay. No, that makes sense. Back and forth and across each other. Um, but holy smokes. Uh, yeah, they're different movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they totally are. <laughs> Very much. Yeah. I, I really appreciate Like, I mean, it's always lovely to talk to you guys, and it's great that you're having me on. I really appreciate that. But I also think it's great that uh, Cootie wanted me on for this um, so that, you know, X and I can explain the gender politics to, of this to you. Right. <laughs> You can just relax and let the men folk explain. Oh, well. Just Hold on. Let, me, let, let, um, let me hitch up my petticoats and uh, yeah. adjust my brassiere and get. Let, my, <laughs> let, let me adjust my seated stance so I can spread my legs wider and Ooh, Nelly, like, get my balls out there. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what's more problematic is like the, the depiction of uh, female sexuality or the pacing in this film. 
but <laughs> you've, you've seen Mausoleum. I, um, and I, I'm kind of sorry about that. Well, um, is seeing really the right word? <laughs> you and en, you endured mausoleum. I, I experienced it. It was an experience. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So Bobby Brassi, the woman who plays Susan, she actually won an acting award for this movie. What did you think of her performance? Um, uh, an acting. Um, I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time processing all this right now. This is a lot. Yes. <laughs> She won a Saturn Award for Best Actress for her performance in Mausoleum. Wow. A Saturn Award? Okay. What else was going on that year? Um, <laughs> well, it was 83, so I imagine cocaine. Ah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe the Saturns are getting a little bit more prominence. Or Did Harlan Ellison have anything <laughs> to do with this? Oh my God! I wish yeah. there'd be there there would have been five lawsuits that Ellison had been involved with this. It's a, it's, a, it's my new show, The Boob Lost. Um, <laughs> it's tear delays in space, and there's tits. Um, her performance. Um, oh boy. Um, well, I, I think the green eye optical effects were able to keep up with her performance. Considering that a lot of those were just freeze frames of her, yeah, no, she, she excels in the freeze frame. That that was very good. Like it, her performance is one of those ones. It's like she is quote unquote sympathetic insofar as she has no personality compared to everyone else who is just detestable. Well, no, her personality is she wants to fuck everything that moves. Hey, that's a personality. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's to a point like it doesn't start that way though. <laughs> it, it's, no, that's true. The, the orbit of the film is like everyone wants to fuck her, I- including like cosplay Grizzly Adams, Evad Sullivan guy at the <laughs> nightclub, um, and they, they all just get murdered for showing interest in that, and then all of a sudden she's um, any gender politics. It's a thing. <laughs> right. Right. So they could have called this movie How Susan Got Her Groove Back. Yeah, yeah. And, and was had to be punished for it. <laughs> Boy, like slasher films bore the brunt of um of being puritanical. Supernatural movies, man, they they were doing some heavy lifting in that department uh, in that era too. Oh, that's true. I mean, between this and stuff like um, what, witchery and necromancer and spellcaster, yeah, if you were in a supernatural bordering on softcore porn film, you were definitely demon you're demon possessed and it affected your libido. Absolutely, real, real hard. Absolutely, yeah. Well, all, all those poor men caught up in the thrall of of demon lady boobs. <laughs> Speaking of cosplay Grizzly Adams, oh. I realized I realize this movie's rolling up on forty years old, but looking at that bar scene, is that still what white people look like when they dance? Oh, I, I think they've gotten worse. Oh Jesus. Because <laughs> at least there was like a formality of like we'll go dancing at the club. Uh you know, th- like that that was kind of like a big deal. Like they obviously prepped themselves up and like dressed up a little bit for that, you know? But they had reservations for that half circle faux leather booth. Oh, there was. So, I, I mean, that's 
the dance club scene is sorely not in the canon of prom night and dead fuck in Friday the 13th films of like odious white people dancing. I know I watched as a kid way too many horror films way too young, but it's just like, I think my hangups about dancing in public, I think a lot of it comes from that. You know, I think, uh, and, and that's an area of trauma of horror films that people don't really get into. Is the dancing? Yeah, it's like, it's like this sort of like dimorphism of not wanting to physically move in a way that will make you look like an idiot and probably have you murdered. <laughs> that that made the nightclub scene in Terminator look like uh, strictly ballroom or something. Oh my gosh, yes. This the um scene in Ghostbusters between Rick Moranis and Casey Kasem's wife, that was like dancing with the stars, man. <laughs> yeah, that looked well orchestrated. Um I mean <sighs> We've come a long way. We've come a long way, I guess. But um... The good thing about that entire dance scene, as far as I'm concerned, is it gave another opportunity for Bobby Brissett to use her particularly strange way of pausing during sentences. <laughs> that, that, <too. laughs> that's, that's a nice way of uh, putting, like, I forgot my line. <laughs> Speaking of, okay, you're obviously someone who knows their way around the kitchen. Can you, right now, Al, spell the word guava? G U A V E or A? <laughs> guava. That's sort of the California uh, pronunciation, right? Like the rest of the world eats chipino, and uh, it, in California, it's chipine. Because. It's it's either they're horrible hipsters or they're very efficient, one or the other. But uh, that sounds right. Um, I think guav just makes a very sweet tequila. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's very smooth, and you can use it to condition your hair. There you go. <laughs> oh. uh, oh, the, the, I just the, thought it was great they couldn't they couldn't spell guava, but then she was like, "Oh, just get cantaloupe." <laughs> like you can't yeah. fucking spell that either, bitch. Yeah. Well, I mean. Seriously, like if either one of those came up in a spelling bee, which one would you be happier to get? Exactly. You know? <laughs> I'd be happy with the whole Yeah, the, the whole candle. Is there going to be double T's in this? It's like, am I setting myself <laughs> for failure? I'm, I'm, okay, the food atrocity that got me um, was the uh, what's for dinner, the poached salmon. And I honestly thought the, di- the, the line of dialogue was poached salmon in me as, <laughs> and I'm an advocate of like you know low and slow cooking at like a consistent body temperature but that would be a new one it's demonic sous vide <laughs> sex vide sex vide that's awesome mm. yeah I thought the poached salmon and me line was just Waiting for somebody to insert a fish joke, just not not good at all. No. Holy crap. But that was also like a frustrating opportunity missed. To do the the salmon inside of her? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. There should have been a little like rye double entend. I don't know. Her husband was such like a wet noodle. Uh, oh, he was, a, he was a moron during this entire movie. He was just oblivious to everything. I love the scene where he comes home and the phone in the kitchen's got blood all over it. And he's like, what happened here? Did you hurt yourself? Oh, 
He was such like dorky fiance that was going to get dumped by act two on the love boat. Yep. <laughs> so which did you think was better? Marjo Gortner's hair or Andrew Prine's pants? Oh, oh I always got to give Andrew Prine points. I mean, right. It's I don't a, care what default. pants he's wearing. Just that they Andrew touched Prine. Andrew Pine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's just a different tier. Like that's that's just the difference between like a mid card and a and a title uh, card program. Like the actual quality of the matches doesn't really matter in comparison to like where it's on the card. So I I, I got to go with Andrew Prine on uh, on that. Um, so you're you're comparing Marjo Gortner's hair to say like a Chavo Guerrero Jr. match. Yeah, but I mean, maybe in like Lucha Underground. <laughs> oh shit! Because it's gonna, because it, it's pretty good, you know. It's not, it's not why you're gonna tune in, but it's, you know, you're, you're not gonna flip channels. That's true. You can't, you can't get away from it. Oh. His hair is everywhere, <laughs> and that shit's real too. I thought that was a perm for the longest time, but I looked that up. No, that is just naturally ex-Pentecostal hair, just wonderful. That, so it's kind of like an ur perm. Yes. <laughs> what did you think about the fact that um, this film did not have the usual exorcism tropes, but instead kind of sent everybody on a fucking scavenger hunt to get the demon out of Susan? Um, especially no Catholics, no Catholics. No, I, I guess they were trying to be quote unquote scientific um, by having the PhD. MD psychiatrist, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is like the best office sign, uh, so, announcing his credentials, going and running around. I appreciated that he. They were also sort of uh, leaning into the cop who was too close to the case and probably, mm. you know, probably should have turned in his badge and handed it over to somebody else. But he was so close, he had to stay with it. <laughs> so Doctor Simon had like two weeks before he was supposed to retire. It was getting close to that. Jeez. Yeah. He's, I mean, he, he's too, he, too old for this shit. He's treated her since she was 12 and now she's 30. <laughs> <laughs> and, and clearly he's been doing a great job. So, I mean, you might as well stick it through to the end. It's like, it's like, coach, I've pitched eight innings. You can't take me out now. I got my perfect game coming up. I'm curious about, I mean, help me with this really, because, okay, originally, her name, her her maiden name was Walker. She was Susan Walker. Right. Then she got married to Doofus, and her name became Susan Farrell. Where did the fucking nomad women come into it, and how quick did you figure that backwards spelling out? I don't think I – I think figured out is kind of uh, an, an abuse of the concept. Like, I, they're sort of, like, absorbing the information. I can't say that I actually figured it out in terms of, like – understanding what was going on i kind of just processed it it's it's kind of like like you know chewing jerky it's like it's like in your mouth it's masticating it's getting softer but you're not really eating it exactly it's it's that kind of level of comprehension yeah the uh, exposition diary at the beginning was an interesting choice especially coupled with the exposition uh past or not past like childhood regression uh, hypnotherapy, 
which actually didn't help explain anything really other than demon stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it brought out Demon Susan. Yeah, which Demon Susan didn't really have much of a problem, like, coming out any other time. Oh, that's true. She didn't really need any others. She just needed to, like, have a guy get, like, a, a semi on, and that seemed to be enough to uh, get Demon Susan going. Uh, but that, that and um, land, landscaper workday montages. <laughs> I, guess, I, guess, I, I guess somebody's work schedule is just, like, real catnip for demons. <laughs> it really just drags them out. You know, every time he said he was working on his stubborn stump, I laughed yeah. so hard. I mean, it's just like, you know, we, we have pills for that. <laughs> I, I, maybe that was like brilliant misdirection. I don't know. Uh, oh, I'm sharpening my axe. <laughs> and and I, I'm checking out the line of the axe edge with my eye. Like I'm checking the sights on a gun. Like I, I've sharpened a lot of edge things in my life. And it's like, I don't, I don't think I've ever eyeballed it. You've never tried to see if everything was just straight. No. <laughs> Lifted up the axe handle to your eye and no. sighted down it. Like I, I've, you know, I've spent like half a day, like sharpening, you know, 20 different kitchen knives. And I've never, that's the step I guess I've missed this whole time. Is like putting them up to my eye, <laughs> making sure the bevel was all right. Um. Okay, speaking of the garden, mm. what, the, what the fuck was that ending? Okay, that ending. I guess Mexicans bad. <laughs> but he he knew the secret, and the doctor knew him and knew and that, knew he, that knew he knew the, the secret, secret, but also previously disregarded the secret. <laughs> And had his Jones on, and, and but was but was also later dead in Susan's little playroom, which seems to move throughout the house willy nilly, and self generated its own cobwebs, thick cobwebs yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is like, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm fine with stuff like that, but it's like they also had like this like oversized rat motif. Oh, on the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> They're just the most medicated rats. They're, they're just chilling. <laughs> Am I... Just like Bruno Matai rats. <laughs> just falling down, falling down the water spout. Oh, so... This is why we get sick! <laughs> I was kind of thinking more like spray-painted drug gerbils, but... Um, <laughs> that all still kind of tracks. But like, if there were like, you know, mutant demon rats with like, spider butts that were like spraying <laughs> rat silk that that would have been a thing um yeah no i'm just it's just all very baffling um the extended vamping of the guardian gardener at the end was one of actually my favorite bets okay. where his laugh he's doing that his demonic laugh and he does the <laughs> elaborate hand wave I was and it's so just, fucking confused by that. Yeah, because it's like you've already hit the hour and thirty mark. Right. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you, you doing now? You don't need to do this. Like, <laughs> and I imagine somewhere there's probably like fifteen minutes of film of yeah. just like keep going, keep going, more, more. This is great. Yeah. You're gonna be a star. <laughs> and the, I mean, the gardener is actually one of my favorite characters. He has such like, uh, like I am Sancho kind of energy. 
uh, earlier in in the film when he's being he's he is swarthy. Oh my god, uh, he's swarthy. Kind of focused on his job. He doesn't actually like. He's the first of the male characters. He's, he's like kind of a bit of a creeper, but he does get completely led on. He wasn't like a rape pest as much as every other male was depicted as being. Like, <laughs> God, that's true. Up up until it decided, yeah. But um, right. <laughs> I'm I'm still processing murder boobs. I oh yeah, I love which the murder boobs. Mm. Okay, before we get into a detailed discussion of that, my question is, have you ever purchased anything from a local food truck that resembled Susan's black light demon titties? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> what clever name would that food truck have? <laughs> oh, 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 it would be ma'am something. <laughs> So, like mams and yams, <laughs> the mammary gland witch. <laughs> oh my god! I'd go with titty twister, but like you know, Rodriguez already got that, so <laughs> I'd have to wear a special belt before I could go there. I mean, <laughs> the thing about food trucks are they just like rip names off of other things from popular culture anyway. So titty twister's fine; it's on the table. Man, those boobs. I I don't think I've ever seen another movie where a woman's breasts gnawed their way through a man's chest cavity <laughs> and left his ribs sticking out no, never so he could die in a bathtub with the same look on his face that he had for the entire for the rest, rest of the, the movie, movie before he died. <laughs> it really took him unawares. Like, he did not have time to register any kind of change of emotion. Um I I think he kind of liked it, maybe. That may have, is that what it was? That may have been the kink he was looking for his whole life. I don't know. Uh, it's like how the doctor says, look, your wife is not your wife. She's demon-possessed. And he's like, oh, she's demon-possessed. You're telling me she's got a demon in her. I should really go home and just make out standing up with her and see what happens and offer to take her on vacation. Oh, Great idea. No, it's kind of like, oh, this is – Hearing this is the first time I've got wood since uh, 81. <laughs> since Bobby Joe and the Outlaw. <laughs> Things are getting kind of stale, and this is exactly what I needed in the bedroom to, uh, you know, or or the enormous bathtub. The, the, the murder tits, I think, I thought were like um, kind of a nice encapsulation, encapsulation of like the, the script's concept of sex. You know, normally you go for like uh, – sort of the fear of the feminine is like, you know, uh, vagina dentata kind of a thing. Right. But these guys are like, no, it's all about boobs. <laughs> like, <laughs> feminine sex is completely determined by tits. Right? So that's, that's, so the, that's the kink part. of the filmmakers. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, oh I, think, I think that says something about the thought process behind this movie. It's like, there, there is no G-spot in consideration in this film at all it's like it's it's all boobies and butt crack <laughs> like which is so like middle school mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> very juvenile view of sex in this movie this sounds like i'm just completely like uh uh crapping on it because i do you know think it, it's definitely worth a watch like um 
it, it's wonky. It's weird. Uh, the, the, the sort of the pacing and the tone is all over the place. The gore effects are actually pretty good. Those were John Buechler effects, and Buechler did a lot of stuff while he was alive. No kidding. Um, and he was a weird dude, too. Could... Like, so, so I appreciate all of that. I, I appreciate art gallery owner guy being levitated <laughs> to his death <laughs> and, um, in such a dramatic way. But that's not like a thing. That, that has no repercussions on the world that, that a grown human man is floated a hundred feet through a mall and dropped onto. <laughs> like, like that doesn't seem to be a cause of concern and doesn't rewrite the way humanity sees the world. Well, it also, and it also brings into question what happened on Cora too, because she floated up over the railing of the what, her second or third floor of Susan's house. And then she telekinetically ripped that woman's chest open. I'm assuming she dropped. But nobody cleaned that blood up. Mm. Elsie the Major shit didn't do it. No, she, she was, was out of there. Trying to figure, yeah, she was trying to figure out how to spell guava at the grocery store. Uh, 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 so, uh, uh, uh. I like how she just beat feet. Oh, dude. <laughs> she just tore the hell out yeah. of there. Dropped She's the like, best nope. motherfucker in a movie that I've, se- that I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another... Oh, there's there's a couple of moments in this too where the use of the term sh- of, of the word shit is used really well. Dorky couple uh, outside of the dance club that let out the oh shit when a guy is getting immolated in a burning car. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> you, you you hit a point where it's just like you get numb to things and it's like oh shit that's not an offensive word to say shit that's just a word that you say and then you see a scene like that's like oh. Shit still has power right. if used appropriately. You know that's that that was good. That was incisive. Well, I mean, you can't look at a guy on fire and be like, "Oh, well, that sucks." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's too bad. Aww. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> you need a strategically deployed. Oh shit. <laughs> oh my god. So overall, you liked it. I enjoyed watching it. So I think I, 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 I let it slip. I actually watched this a couple of months ago. And uh, this sort of speaks to um, how context is important to things. So I, I had seen it on VHS like years ago. And, you know, like I was a child and everything is just like special effects sequences. And they all like blur together then. And then you become old and bitter and weird. And you, you watch some of that stuff from when you were a kid. But for me, I have this sort of like movies that I watch while I'm working out. The quality of a movie, like of a movie that's a workout movie is different from one that you sit down and pay attention to. So it's kind of like, oh, there are lively things happen that are keeping your attention away from the fact that you're on like an elliptical and everything is going to be drudgery for the next hour, but you don't actually have to pay attention or think about it. It's just kind of like a flashing light thing. So the, <laughs> The quality of those movies are like, oh, yeah, this is nuts. Um, And I can, you know, push myself while watching a horrific gore scene. And then I can go do sit ups while like there's boring people doing exposition. And I'm not feeling like I'm missing anything. And, And a movie like this is great in that kind of a scenario. But then you step away from that and it's like, all right, I'm going to watch this and try to take notes and pay attention to things and maybe like note some bits that'll be really funny to talk about later. 
and it's a completely different experience. <laughs> right. So on one level, you appreciate the movie just because it has bright colors. Yes, exactly. Oh, God. I, like, okay, okay, there's another thing. What's going on with the Mava, uh, Mario Bava color scheme? When the, <laughs> Dude! When he first goes in to the into the mausoleum it's like oh okay that was a choice that you made that seemed to be deliberate that seemed to be like you were referencing a thing and then maybe i'm just a looter and i've watched way too many genre films but like <laughs> young susan running through the cemetery and everything is like weird at the beginning it's just like is this like a genre lens reference right does, does this person like you know do they have like a visual vocabulary of euro horror from the previous decade and then it's like no i'm just delusional <laughs> I'm just seeing what I want to see. <laughs> but The filmmaker went to a drive-in once, and they were showing, like, I don't know, Patch It for the Honeymoon or something like that. But then he just went home and watched a bunch of sitcoms. Yeah, or he, he, he turned his head down from the screen and was, like, snorting some codeine pills. Um, <laughs> then he had to get to the concession stand for a couple hot dogs, and it all kind of, like, merges together. But, yeah, there, there are enough of those, like, little things that, are, like, keep you engaged as like a long-standing genre fit like this would not be a movie i would ever recommend to anyone who's like i'm kind of interested in horror movies yeah what should i watch (laughs) start here (laughs) but it's just like i i've watched all the 80s nostalgia films and i don't get why people have a backlash against everyone loving everything in the 80s it's like you crack your knuckles and be like okay the 80s did this too and it's it's kind of wild and crazy, and you can kind of appreciate just the throwing everything against the wall, and nothing makes any sense, and there's some great bits, and there's some weirdo bits. If you like weirdo movies, this is a good one to watch. I agree with that. Here's, and here's my, my, my clue. That sounds me hitting a pen against my forehead like I just came up with something fucking brilliant. Oh. In the kitchen, you can see on the wall there's – it's almost like a license plate, but it's not. But it has the number six six six. Oh, I totally missed that. Me too. So obviously it was a it was a devil kitchen to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> some kind of some kind of demon galley. I don't know. Was that like a I, satanic like occupancy code? Yeah. <laughs> There's only six hundred and sixty six like disembodied demon spirits. It was the it was the Hellfire Marshal. Uh, come up came up with that. I, I mean, <laughs> hell would have a hell of a bureaucracy, right? You gotta think. Oh yeah, man. You uh, have to. Yeah, I, I I can't even comprehend. Uh, but okay, like background stuff. There's the there's the weirdo bit in the dance club. I I think everything comes down to the dance club bit in this. That's probably the best bit in the whole movie. Um, where the dorky husband is called away to take a phone call which was not set up by the lecherous guy, which I thought was a weird choice because I kind of assumed that that's how that was playing out. He's taking this phone call, and there's this weird, like, folk art painting behind him that looks like it's a clue in, like, an early, like, animal movie Argento film. (laughs) It's just this, like, shoddy-looking um outdoor scene with children around and i'm looking at it and it's like d- there's got to be a tip off in there because it's so huge and it's eating up so much of the frame and it's just like maybe i've watched ari aster too much and i just assume people think about things but <laughs> that had nothing to do with anything that was just part of the 
70s decor. There was definitely a lot of dark wood and rich mahogany oh. tones in that particular scene. The leather banquettes? Yeah. Yes. Like, there was more cow in the furniture than steaks they were ever going to sell oh in that place. I can... You know what it made me think of? And this was a real place uh, where I grew up. Um, there was a restaurant called Max and Irma's. And Max and Irma's actually had telephones at each table. So that if you saw somebody that you wanted to get with, you could call their table. What? And, and state your case. Oh, my God. There was a bar in my hometown that had the same gimmick, and it was owned by one of my junior high school teachers that actually taught sex education. <laughs> yeah, I can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the era of early AIDS education, too. So I, I guess I'm lucky to be alive, I guess. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm thinking about that, just you go into a place like that, and stranger danger goes right mm-hmm. out the fucking door. I think it was actually called the Silver Bullet. <laughs> oh God! That's oh, beautiful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to fact check, check this, but uh, yeah, memories are flooding back now. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay, so overall, you wouldn't recommend Mausoleum, but you appreciate the bright colors. And the weird gender politics of it, because there really are some weird fucking gender politics. Oh yeah, in this movie. can't make head nor tails of them. And gore sequences really good. If somebody's put together like a supercut of like all the kills, the the first hobo possible rapist in the mausoleum who gets uh, his head all scannered, <laughs> that it doesn't make any sense. But it's great. I still don't understand what the demonic forces end game was. Well, I think it was just part of the curse. Like it didn't really have to do anything except except show up and you know make Susan do things, make make her rub her fingertips across the top of her breasts. Yeah, I just so I just don't get why it. the demon wanted to do it. Just was, it's not like a Damien Thorne like I'm gonna possess this person and cause chaos throughout the world. It's more like I'm I'm just gonna fuck with this girl's libido. <laughs> And and fuck with uh, people that feel libidinous to her. Oh, and it will get stopped when the uh, Christian symbol of a crown of thorns get on the overly large penis-shaped demon head to cause it pain and make it go away. Is this a conversion therapy movie? Oh, oh no! Oh god! Oh no! <laughs> what I was thinking is, you can take all the kill scenes from Mausoleum and put them into a copy of Porky's, and it would be better. Oh, oh that's the '80s in a nutshell, right there. It is. That's, that's... Porky's and Mausoleum. Porky Liam. <laughs> <laughs> I want to crowdfund that supercut, and <laughs> I want I want to force uh, Sam Harris to watch it. Oh, and it'd be great. Kim Cattrall could be the demon. She'd be lassie. She'd make those weird noises anyway. It's perfect. I love this idea. This is great. This is great. I think maybe we should hit up Disney and see if they want to do... (laughs) Because they probably own all the intellectual property for all of this anyway. Oh, I'm Uh, sure. Yeah. If we dig into Uh, Black Matter, you know. That implies intellect, but... (laughs) (laughs) That's in quotes. Jesus. Is it time to drink? Because it's my fucking birthday and I want to drink. You're already drinking. Yes, have some. 
Well, then let's get everyone else in on that action. If you have plans to watch a mausoleum anytime in the future, you might as well get duck butt snookered while doing it. <laughs> duck butt snookered? Yeah, I know. I just made that up today. I love it. All right. Well, let's crack into Mauritania's favorite drinking game, Drinking with the Devil. Will your love of bad movies meet your disdain for your own liver? time you hear that weird electronic cicada buzzing because Susan's gearing up for devil time again. <laughs> devil time. <laughs> Drink every time Dr. Simon gets all misty-eyed over Susan. <laughs> <laughs> but he's known her since she was a child. <laughs> That's so creepy. I know. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Drink every time Susan rubs her hands or fingers over her boobs. You call it seductive. I call it foreshadowing. Drink every time Ronnie gets all macho about shit. (laughs) She's so much. Yep. (laughs) She's like the Linda Lavin of this movie. Um, And finally, the Mausoleum Grandmaster Challenge. Drink every time Oliver refuses to acknowledge that anything strange is going on with his wife. <laughs> That's pretty much the entire movie. I know. <laughs> That's just evil. <sighs> oh, it's just mildly impish. My goodness, we move quickly on this show. Now it's time for the multiverse's favorite game of pitching and catching. Ask the goat, except... This time, I reached out to our listening audience and asked them to send questions directly to Cootie to cap off this birthday episode. So I guess this is Ask Cootie, where she answers your questions and you question her answers. (laughs) I am ready. Let's do it. Where's the malevolent mailbag? I've got it. It's your birthday. No rummaging for you. Oh, but I like to rummage. Well, here, baby. I mean, you can rummage. As Cootie rummages through the malevolent mailbag. Rummage, rummage, rummage. Please remember that you can always ask us any question your little heart desires by using one of the three methods we have so lovingly provided for you. The easiest way is to join our Facebook group. Once you've gained admission, you can post comments, memes, pictures, and, of course, questions to us. There's pretty much nothing we won't answer, so let your imaginations run wild. You can also send us an email at thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. That's letters, voice files, whatever you can cram into a tiny little digital envelope. And finally, by the gods, I'm so happy about this. You can follow us on our Twitter feed. Yes, we have one. I tried like hell. 
to get our original Twitter feedback under our control, but it's linked to an email address that's no longer in existence, and Twitter said, fuck you, can't do it, security, blah, blah, blah. So Cootie Bug here dug into Twitter and got us a brand new handle that I think is far easier to remember. Fuck yeah. So y'all give us a follow at HellSatanKTG. Yes, that is so much better. At HailSatanKTG. Glom onto that feed, friends, and I will occasionally post the things that need to be tweeted. Oh, I can't fucking explain <laughs> the joy in my heart and the weight that has been lifted off my puny little shoulders with that new Twitter handle. Thank you. Thank Satan. Thank the fucking gods. It's so goddamn great. Oh, anyway, hi, how are you? <laughs> Let's get into this special Ask Cootie birthday hullabaloo. Are you ready? Let me get more wine. Okay, let's do it. Rolf Pickler actually has a couple of questions about Mausoleum. First off, Rolf asks, could you please explain the Bradley electric car? Oh, you mean the car that Marjo Gortner drove, that little sporty white thing. That was actually a Bradley GT electric car, and it was the 1980s version of the electric vehicle. It was basically structured around a Volkswagen Beetle chassis, and it held 17 batteries. That car could go up to 50 whole miles on a single charge and had a special boost mode that could kick the car from 0 to 60 in less than 8 seconds. So it was kind of like a Prius, only more badass. So after changing the name of the company to the Electric Vehicle Corporation, customers began to complain mightily about a variety of factors, including the product not living up to the company's claims of performance. The company was charged with consumer fraud in 1981, and because of all the ensuing lawsuits, it didn't reopen its doors. How in the blistery shit did you know that? Well, I mean, I know a lot of things. Oh, apparently so. Rolf also wants to know, why was Oliver so threatened by that painting of a bad 80s fantasy novel cover with some peen on it? <laughs> I actually really like that painting. And I think that Oliver's problem with it is that it had some overt kind of pagany themes to it i mean you know aside from the obvious just sexual nature of it you know what maybe that's what it was the obvious sexual nature of the painting was oliver's problem he he was he was not overtly sexual oliver and after he got his chest ripped out by some tits baby demon titties blacklight demon baby titties beautiful goddamn it's a beautiful thing all right. Well, in a non-mausoleum-related question, Mike Tutino wants to know, what was the best birthday present you ever got? Okay, so this is going to be sappy as fuck, and y'all are going to have to forgive me because I'm a cancer. Huh? <laughs> but my 18th birthday, when I blew out my birthday cake candles, I wished for a girl, and I got her. She was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, 
That is super sweet. It's stupid. <laughs> no, it's, it's the not. Truth. <laughs> it's not stupid. Her daughter's great. Yeah. Vanessa McEnery asks Cootie, if you could have a birthday cake designed by Satan, what would it look and taste like? Holy fucking shit. Really? Oh, if I had a birthday cake designed by Satan? Um, I think if I could have a birthday cake that looked like Black Phillip and tasted like chocolate covered cherries <laughs> that is what heaven or hell would taste like i guess depending on your point of view such your idea of living deliciously the fuck yes it is are you kidding me <laughs> chocolate covered cherry goat cake wow i would never have guessed that <laughs> The Angry Ginger, Matt Tangent, wants to know, Cootie, what film would you want to be transported into for your birthday celebration? Practical Magic. Oh, I should have fucking guessed that. I know. I just I just want to, like, spend a weekend in that house and work in that garden. Listen to Stevie Nicks songs. Right? It would be so tranquilo. <laughs> <laughs> and I would slap down that ex-boyfriend bullshit drama so fast. Like, fuck you. <laughs> oh, Lord. Friend of the show, Richard Schmidt from Hello, This is the Doomed Show, wants to know how many times you have been accused of heresy. Oh, Jesus, at least a dozen. <laughs> I think you're undercounting. <clears throat> Probably. I mean, my own daddy has told me that I'm going to hell. So <laughs> it is not heresy, and I will not recant. I, um, know, I got no regrets. Rolf makes another appearance on the show and says, Dear Cootie, would you say that the demon in Mausoleum had Susan's best interests at heart? Rolf also wishes you a wonderfully devil-tastic day of birth celebration, by the way. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Rolf. Love you much. Um, and I would say absolutely not. The demon in Mausoleum did not have Susan's best interest at heart because he's a fucking demon. He's there to exploit. He's there to get everything he can out of Susan and create chaos and wreck her life. And I think that he succeeded. Especially with those black light baby demon ditties. Exactly. But you know what? She got laid a lot. So I guess that depends on your perspective. Did she get laid a lot, or did she just seduce dudes who thought they were going to get some, and then she ate them with her boobs? She probably got off on said eating with the boobs, and I don't blame her for that. Well, I never got to see Demon Susan rub one out. I know, and it's a shame. Kevin Kyer asks, Cootie, should Taco Bell burn in hell for discontinuing the Mexican pizza, and what other items they discontinued should they be condemned to burn for as well kevin i think that taco bell just needs to burn in hell because that is not food <laughs> just 
just burn Taco Bell to the ground. It is it it, it enough of giving America the shits and enough <laughs> of giving America the 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 idea that they're eating some form of Tex-Mex food enough. Burn in hell. <laughs> oh my god. You know, I have an answer for this. Um the chili cheese burrito, we totally need that back. I'm in agreement with Mike Merriman with that. But also, back in the day, there was a thing called the Enchirito. Do you remember that? The Enchirito was a tortilla filled with uh, ground beef and cheese and beans, and it was covered in enchilada sauce, and it had three black olives on the top, and it came in this fucking tin dish with a plastic lid on it, and it was the fucking best. And they got rid of that shit, so fuck you, Taco Bell. Of course, that happened like in 1985, 86. I don't know. It is not food. No, it's not, but it was still good. No. Dude, it was carbs you could eat with a spork. You were drunk. Yeah, I was drunk. Yeah, it's not good. I was drunk a lot in the 80s. (laughs) That really hasn't changed. Finally, Mike Merriman says that the world needs to know a story about when X goes triple X. I'm not sure if that's actually necessary. Well, sure it is. All right, all right. So y'all listen up. Okay, so this was our second date. Okay, second date. You don't get this shit on a second date. He asks me, because he knew that I was into like artsy, craftsy, and DIY shit, right? So he's like, all right, I'm going to teach you some shit. I was like, okay, cool. This is really fucked up. And it just really blows my mind that I stuck with him after this. But um, told me to dress in all black and meet him in this alleyway in downtown Knoxville. Okay, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And this is like November, so it's cold, it's fucking pitch black, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So I come in all dressed in black. Turns out we're in an alley behind a hospital. So he's got me climbing over a motherfucking fence, fucking chain link fence, 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night in November in downtown Knoxville. I was like the fuck is going on but i kind of dug the guy and i was like all right all right well let's see where this goes so we're digging in a goddamn biohazard dumpster he's pulling out bags of fucking baby fat okay not just people fat like in like in the fucking movie no 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 this is baby fat i don't know where they got the baby fat i didn't ask questions but there was a sticker on the side that clearly said baby fucking fat so i'm like okay so we're gathering up these bags of baby fat okay and we will go running back to his car and he takes me back to his house bitch has got bathtubs lined up in his living room pours out this baby fat teaches me how to render we're rendering baby fat at midnight in november in his house in south knoxville and you might think cootie bug the fuck are you doing the fuck are you thinking well you know i was just i had just turned 30 and i was like yeah i'm still craving some adventure i'm still thinking you know, there's more to this life than what I I have been told. I really want to to like really want to know what's out there. So, 
next thing I know, we're done with the rendering of the fat, and it's cooling, and he's like, come on into the kitchen. We're going to have some shots. I was like, fuck yes, shots. And then he was like, I got tequila, and I was like, fuck yes, tequila. Now you're speaking my love language, right? Takes me to the kitchen, starts pouring up tequila shots, and I'm like, yeah, bitch, we're going to do tequila shots. So, I don't know, five, six tequila shots in, motherfucker grabs my hand, and he fucking handcuffs me to the table leg. I'm like, bitch, what are you doing? I'm thinking, yeah, it's going to be some kinky shit going down right now, right? 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 Like, yeah, yeah, I'm lit on tequila. He's got me handcuffed to the table leg. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a good Saturday night after all. In spite of the fucking baby fat. Yeah. No. Um... Motherfucker pulls out some black salt and some sulfur, pours this shit on my hand, and lights it on fire. So I'm screaming. Like, I got flesh melting on the back of my hand. I could smell hair. I can smell skin. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? So I black out. While I'm blacked out, I get these amazing visions of this other world of where we're free of capitalism and we're free to explore our sexual desires. And oddly enough, there are goats prancing around everywhere. And when I come to, I'm no longer handcuffed to the table, but I got this gnarly fucking scar on the back of my hand and he's laying next to me and he's like, welcome to the rest of your life, bitch. The rest is history. You know, babe, Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We are the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact, and we're very, very pissed off. But I tell you what, I love you like wild, and I have since the day I met you, and I ain't never gonna stop. You met me at a very strange time in my life. Well, that's probably going to wrap it up for this episode of Kiss the Goat. We want to thank Bo at Legion Podcast for putting up with our constant stream of bullshit. Follow Legion Podcasts on YouTube for some hot videos of single podcasters in your area. And maybe some married ones, too. It's hard to tell, and I really don't want to ask. You can also get exclusive content by joining the Legion Patreon. For less than the cost of a tank of amyl nitrate per day, you can get content you just won't hear anywhere else. Come on, man. You want to feel special, don't you? Don't subject yourself to that podcast FOMO. Get on that super special VIP Legion podcast Patreon list. And as always, thank you for allowing us into your ears and letting our show live in your brain like some kind of parasite that doctors don't discover until you make an office visit for a seemingly non-related issue. Until next time, my name is X. Wait, what did you get me for my birthday? Oh, Oh, shit. Oh, of course. I almost forgot. Uh, here, I mean, this isn't everything I got you, but it's a good start. So here, take a look at this. Holy shit. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's so big. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's 
so thick. Uh huh. I don't even know if I can take this all in. Yeah, baby. That is the biggest veggie sub sandwich I've ever seen. You enjoy that, darling. I'll grab some chips. Until next time, my name is X. And I'm Cootie. Hail Satan! Ready for this fucking birthday episode of Kiss the Goats. It's gonna be so cool. Ah, Cootie, Supreme Queen, Lord and Mistress of the Kiss the Goat podcast. And, and uh, yeah, wife to, to my brother, who, who, whom I love as, as well. Happy birthday to you, or birthday adjacent day. Uh, what can I say about this woman uh, when she's not tilling the fields to, to, to make all the wonderful ingredients that make the brood witch, which I uh, hear you cannot dismantle. She's an amazing podcaster, amazing woman, amazing mother and grandmother, uh, all of the above. I'll say that about her, and she she has to deal with my brother, which you know I'm sure that's a they're they're a lovely pair. I've hung out in their home before, so I could tell they're they're very uh, like-minded individuals because uh, it's fun just to hang out, man. And uh, you invited me in your home, and I uh, be forever grateful for that. I'll I'll see y'all next year for a show. I've already talked to my brother about this. You. Just like a country song that I hate that plays endlessly on the radio today, you are fancy like Applebee's on a date night. And I hope that song will play in hell for eons and eons and eons for people who like me who hate it. But um, don't leave that, that mayo out too long. I know it's hot down there in hell's half acre, but let me tell you, that sandwich is delicious. And so is Cootie. Happy birthday, baby. Love you. This is Acolyte Chris calling in from Waukesha, Wisconsin birthplace of the electric guitar instrumental to rock and roll the devil's music i'd like to call upon mephistopheles yuckum beelzebub asmodeus lucifer lilith satan and all the kings and princes of hell to grant our high priestess cootie all of her dark wishes and earthly desires hail satan it's Brian and Jamie from Horror in the House of Salmons. And we popped in to wish Cootie a happy birthday. Happy birthday! <laughs> you gonna sing with me? No. Alright then. <laughs> it's birthday time, it's birthday time, everybody cheer. It's your birthday, and we want you to have what? Fun. It's your birthday, so let's party everyone yes it's your birthday and we want you to have fun <laughs> happy birthday from brian and jamie <laughs> <laughs> that was good baby <laughs> oh i should have muted that but i didn't because i was hoping for another beer it's okay is it why is this Fucking fuck. Zooming on up. <laughs> Truly sad. Too much. Too much. Back too up. much zoom. Too much zoom. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Well, last time it was your birthright. Birthday. Yes. War one. Uh, drinking, drinking, drinking. I know I did the right thing. Yes, can you bring us a beer on the way
Sinead O'Connor. Y'all remember her, right? The Irish singer who famously tore a picture of Pope John Paul II in half while performing on Saturday Night Saturday. Is that that word has three syllables? Saturday. I was sir. 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 You got the mush mouth for real tonight. I think I have to. I think I have to breathe better. (laughs) That might be true. Take care from the top. Three, two. I am a Roman Catholic. <laughs> I have been since the day I was born. Grandma, <laughs> <laughs> what was it like to be on that holiday side? Oh, God. That's fucking funny. You know what's funny is I just watched fucking... Berserker. Berserker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a piece of shit. I, was, I just kept singing that fucking song the whole time. What was the What was the line? Wait a minute. Would you like, like to, to make making fuck? <laughs> Berserker. <laughs> Did he say, "Would you like to make fuck"? <laughs> <laughs> fucking nineties white girl. Oh my god. I can't do that with my voice. It's so unfair. You can't do the growly thing? No. I just sound croaky. I sound like a fucking swamp hag. You sound like Kim Carnes or Stevie Nicks, and that's fucking hot. That makes me just want to whip it out and listen to nothing but you talking. Wow. Well, okay. Okay. Jesus. Okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. All right. Excuse me. Yeah, you're welcome. Cucumber burp. But that was really gross over the microphone. Would you like to blow your nose? Buzzaka. Okay, I'm clear. I'm ready. Uh, Are you? Ready. But we're here to talk about demons and tits and oblivious husbands, so let's get into the this shit fuck god damn it I was going to say a thing and then I fucking <laughs> fucked it up alright fucking fucker I know more beer for X Jesus mm. it was chubby chasers that fucked me up <laughs> well you'll have that after uh, okay I was going to say words and then I forgot them again okay. why is Oliver so fucking oblivious Oblivious? Oblivious. Oblivious. No, oblivious. Oblivious is the word now. And neither is that weird fucking electronic Seda noise. Seda. God damn it. Simon's... Simon. God. So many S's. Three. Two. Simon plays the audio tape of the hypnosis... The hypnosis... Three. Two. Susan's at the house with her nightgown when this brown work van shows up and it's a dude delivering a plant. Susan opens the, the, the I'm not even making mistakes. I just forget to move my face. Blood of my phone. Oh my god. So Simon puts the crown of thorns on Susan's head. Susan, Susan head. 
Simon tells Susan about a thing she saw. Okay. I come in there and whack my balls against her nose. Not sure that would help. Thanks, though. Hello. Welcome to Skype call testing service. After the beep, please record a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. Check one, two, check one, two. Hello, hello, hello. Blah, flippy, dippy, bapa, feedback, It is very much like air soup. <laughs> air soup, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm like the only sun dog in Canada, apparently, and I'm living in the only place that hasn't gone through like a catastrophic heat wave that murdered all kinds of people. So, um, we'll get on uh, you, man. I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you on your? Are you on your? Fuck. What? Yeah. This exactly. bodes well. That, that I can't say a fucking word. Uh oh. Oh, we lost you, X. You didn't know I existed. <laughs> Meat. <laughs> I have not come up with any drinking points. Not one drinking point. Oh, that should be uh, uh, Richard Glenn Schmidt's uh, next uh, uh, electronic band. Yes. I'm tagging in this. <laughs> I would totally uh, contribute to a Kickstarter for that. That's that mm-hmm. needs to happen. Oh my I think I might harass him endlessly about that. <laughs> or until I forget. Just harass Richard endlessly anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so tempting, Why wouldn't right? You? Like, another one of the good ones. Mm. What was Dr. Simon's friend's name? Rhoda? Rony. 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 <laughs> All right, well, let's crack into Mauritania's. Mauritania. Did I say that right? You did. Nice. Okay, let me try that again. Then. <laughs> Three, two. Beagle. God, it's fucking... 
I mean, after changing the name of the company to the Electric Vehicle Corporation, customers began to complain mildly about a variety of... God, I was so good up to that point. So after changing the name of the company to the Electric Vehicle... Rolf, once again, makes an appearance, and he wants to know, Dear Cootie, what would you say that the demon in Maz... Sorry, God, fuck, she be fucked Hi. You did this to me. Where my dead boyfriend is in the backyard. Bing, 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 bing. If you ever did believe. So <laughs> that song goes, right? Yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> Follow me. <laughs> ears and letting our show live 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 it was live 